Okay, so I'm excited to be here. Very passionate about this topic, as Leslie said. Um, a little nervous, so I hope I'm not awkward, because I know that's more awkward for you than it would be for me if I were like stumbly. So, okay, a little bit about me. This is my family. This is when we were in Estes Park with Watermark in June. Uh, my husband, Brian, we've married 17 years, and then we've got five kids. So Brayden is 11, he's in fifth grade. Brody is nine, fourth. Brielle is seven. She's in second. Bryce, with his eyes closed, is five. Uh, he's in kinder this year. And then Brinley, we call her Bean Bean. She's two and a half. So those are my little blessings. Um, so a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Plano. It's kind of echoey. Is that just how it is? That's okay. So I was born and raised in Plano. Uh, graduated from Plano East in 1999, which would make me 38. Go ahead and you can, I'll do the math for you there. Uh, went to University of Texas for four years. I met Brian while he was at Baylor and we got married while I was still in college. So we've been married, you know, 17 years. I just turned 21, we got married. Um, and most importantly, I am an anagram six. Okay, who here knows what I'm talking about? Who here's done the anagram? You know what anagram number you are? Okay, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, the anagram is just like the trendy personality test of the day, okay? Myers-Briggs is another one, but um, basically there's a number one through nine that describes either your uh, like fears or motivations. Um, it's just really fun. So the six, the thing about the six that really resonated with me that I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally that, is sixes are considered loyalists. Like they are all in to something, whether that be friends or family or some cause. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally me. Because one thing I've known about myself is that if God hadn't intervened in my life in a huge way in my teenage years, I would have sold out to something just in a quest for truth, just searching for meaning and purpose. Um, I mean, I envisioned myself, I would have done Peace Corps, Save the Whales. I mean, I would have been marching up in Washington with a big sign that said, who knows what. I don't know how far I would have gone, but I would have sold out to something. But because of God's mercy, I consider myself a fully devoted follower of Christ today. Um, okay, so I'm gonna start off this year, just how the talk's gonna go. I'm gonna start off this year um, and just, I'm gonna share the gospel with all of you. I don't wanna assume that everybody in here knows when we talk about being saved, when we say the gospel or being a Christian, a lot of you might have an idea of what that means, but I don't wanna assume that you really know exactly what that is. So we're gonna go through six verses called the Romans Road and just explain what it means to be a Christian. And then we're gonna get into your role as a life giver because that's what you came to hear. Okay, so Christianity, it's not something you've been since you were a baby. Okay, I've met, I met a, remember meeting a gal at some like worship thing and I'm like, oh, it's great, you know, get to know you. Tell me, when did you become a believer? <laughs> I've been a Christian since I was a baby. I'm like, no, you haven't. No, that's not theologically correct. So um, becoming a Christian or a Christ follower, is what Christian means, is a decision each individual must make in his or her life. Okay, so part of my story is I trusted Christ when I was young. I remember praying to receive Christ when I was seven. I think I did it again around nine at Canacuck. Um, and then during my teenage years, though, I just started to question why. I remember being like 13, 14, and I started to think, if I had been born into a family of any other faith, I would be fully devoted to that faith that my parents were. So why would I be so arrogant as to assume that just because I was born into a Christian family that this is the only way? Because the truth is, Christianity is exclusive. A lot of people will say, oh, all religions, they all kind of say the same thing. If you actually look into the religions, you see that they don't, they don't say the same thing. They are exclusive. Um, and what I found was um, it all whittles down to one thing. 
okay? When all the different faiths, um, it all, but there's one point. I mean, don't get lost in all the things. A lot of faiths, they have the same wisdom proverbs, okay? That's true. But it all comes down to one thing, and it's actually a person, and it's Jesus. It is the most powerful name in the history of the world. It will get you killed. It will make you unpopular and throw a big wrench in the conversation, or it brings life to those who listen. It all comes down to Jesus and who you say that he is. Okay, so everyone, believers and non-believers, would say, yes, I know Jesus existed. And a lot of people say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus, he was a, he was a prophet. I, believe, I, I agree with Jesus' teachings. So if you say he was a prophet or a teacher, what did that prophet or teacher say about himself? Well, he claimed to be God, okay? Uh, John 17 is a great chapter to just look into Jesus's claims about himself. He said, I and the Father are one, many times. When somebody asked him who he was, he said, before Abraham was, thousands of years earlier, I am, which is the name God used for himself. Um, so, okay, all right. Oh, so he wasn't just the son of God. He wasn't a first man to attain Godhood. He was actually God. So when I was looking into this, I'm like, okay, I want the facts. If I'm gonna really look into this from an unbiased perspective, what's the history around it? I want the facts and I want the backup for the facts. Um, and so when I looked into it, it's really like, okay, he either was God or he wasn't. That's it. He either was God or he was a liar. He lied about saying he was God or he was crazy and he thought he was God, like a cult leader. Um, or he really was who he says he was. And so I realized at that point, okay, if he really is who he says he was, if the resurrection actually happened, if the Bible really is the word of God, the implications for my life are enormous. I knew at that time, I'm like, I knew it wasn't, it was either like I'm all out or I'm all in. And at that time, I just started um, getting a distaste for the sin in my life. And when I was 18, I went, okay, I'm all in. I, it was the biggest leap of faith I'd ever taken when I just went, I don't know what I'm doing, but I believe you are who you say you are. I, I'm going all into this thing because I'm a six. No. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great quote that I feel like summarized just my journey. And it is that um, he says, if Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important which is so right. I mean, don't we treat it like it's moderately important most of the time? Um, okay, so I'm gonna walk you guys through what we call the Romans road that just clearly explains the gospel, okay? I'm gonna start with Romans 3.23 that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10 puts it a little different, says, what's well, the same thing? Um, he who keeps the whole law, which means it's perfect in everything they do, he who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So uh, what I think of is like, imagine um, a tile, like you've just bought a tile, you're gonna, you know, re, you're gonna uh, tile your bathroom and you're going through them to see like, okay, which ones are broken, which one do I use? Uh, some of them are like totally broken, you know, shattered and some just might have like just a hairline crack in a corner, but what is it? It's still broken. All of us are broken and the consequences for sin are grave because what do we do with those tiles? We throw them out. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still turned away, doing our own thing, turning our back on God, Christ died for us. We had done nothing to deserve it at that point. Uh, Romans 10.9, so then what do we do? Okay, 
I believe you are who you say you are. What do we do? I believe I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I have no hope of repairing those cracks in me on my own. Um, It's so simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. You are unashamed to publicly proclaim that you are a Christ follower and you know in your heart and mind, he is Lord of your life. And finally, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what it means to be a Christian is that you've acknowledged and repented the fact you're a sinner. You've trusted in Christ as the only possible way to a reconciled relationship with God. And most people think it's just more of like a, well, you know, they usually say the same thing. Well, I haven't been that bad. I mean, I haven't killed anybody. That's like the standard line, right? No, if, if the judging, if it's based on my heart, my thoughts, my motives, we're, I mean, that's pretty weighted down for all of us, isn't it? We don't have any hope outside of Christ. So that is like, that is number one. When John the Baptist came, his message was repent, acknowledge, man, I need a savior. I am a sinner in need of a savior. So when we acknowledge Christ and we trust him as the only way, our life now looks different because you have a relationship with God and you invite him in to inform your steps and transform your heart and mind. So the Christian life is a transformed life. That's what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower. And here living in the Bible Belt, you'll get a lot of mixed stuff. You'll get a lot of like, yeah, I'm a Christian since I was a baby or, you know, I've been to church every once in a while. So that's what that really means. This is a gospel just loud and clear. Okay, so for me, I have the bottom line answer for me as a created human being. Um, But you know what else I've thought of a lot? Gender is from God. Okay, it says in Genesis 1, he created the male and female. And it's not like God just decided, oh, I'm gonna make two different kinds of humans. That'd be fun. No, there was intention and purpose and design in our femininity. And I wanna think about that and wrap my mind around that. And what is true? Because I wanna know what's true. What's the bottom line? What's true for women, how God created us across all of history, all nations, all races? What is true? Well, I don't have time to get into that today, so I have to leave you hanging on that one. I'm sorry. Um, But I strongly encourage you, if you ever get the chance to go through a study um, called Five Aspects of Woman by Barbara Mauser, it is so worth it. It is the most comprehensive study I've ever done. Not like I've done 20, but you know, it's so, it's, it takes about six months. It's like a theology course, but it is excellent study on femininity. Um, the other thing God created was marriage. God created marriage. He had intent and purpose and design and being a wife in wifeyhood, wifedom. I don't know what you call it, spousalness. So anyway, I'm sure there's an actual word for that. Um, but I don't have time to talk about that either today. Sorry, that's a different ministry. Um, but then... Um, oh yeah, disclaimer. Okay, so the five aspects of woman, that is the major inspiration for this talk today. Okay, so one of her um, aspects is life giver. And that's what we're talking about today. So if you think, wow, Morgan, you are brilliant. How did you come up with this? I I didn't come up with it. Like I don't have an original thought ever. So this is is all Barb, Barbara Mauser. All right, so I had my first child at 27. I had a little Brayden. There he is, that's great. It's Heidi so long ago. Um, And from day one, I just started pondering this thing called motherhood. I mean, from that first day, just that magical, unbelievable day when you see that little baby human for the first time, um, I just started thinking a lot about the same thing. What's the bottom line? What is God's intention for moms? He created it. 
He's got purpose and design for it. What's the truth about being a mom that we need to know across all of time, all of history, all nations, all races? Um, and I haven't stopped thinking about it. That's why I'm passionate about this ministry. Anyway, it's, I mean, being a mom is a huge deal. Think about it. He entrusted, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys get it. But when you think about how much we love our kids and we know God loves them infinitely more than we can ever imagine, and yet he entrusts them to us. Really? I mean, I feel like I'm still a kid myself half the time, you know? I mean, he gives kids to kids. Like, it's just unbelievable. Um, but to raise something so incredibly precious as a child that matters so much to God. And Jesus loves the little children. It's a Sunday school saying. Sometimes we pass it off as trite. But man, I want to value what God values. I want to love what he loves. And it's a big deal to God. Um, and the Bible, the truth is, the Bible makes clear, we're not to be just mothers, but life givers. Because that's what you were designed to do. You were designed to bring life to those around you so that they may grow and thrive. All right, so we're gonna dive in and we're gonna talk about life giving. Okay, so in English, there is one word for life and it's life. In Greek, there's three. That's typically how languages work. Like different ones say, you know, you learn so much from all the different words they use. So Greek, three words for life. First one, bios. Okay, it's where we get the word biology and that's physical life or anything that sustains life. We have full participation in giving our kids physical life, right? You don't, you don't grow, we don't grow children entirely outside of the body yet. Not, we can start off in Petri dishes, but not fully there. We need our bodies, full participation. So bios is not found a whole lot in the New Testament, but this is just an example verse of where it is. Uh, pray for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, like bios, our, the, our lifespan, godly and dignified in every way. Okay, the second way we give life is the word psyche, okay? This is the word means emotion, soul, mind, will. It's where we get the word psychology, okay? This, we have prominent participation with our children, especially in the little years, but not entire. Okay, example verse, Mark eight thirty six. For what does it profit a man who gains the whole world, yet loses his soul, his psyche? Um, Luke nine twenty four. Whoever finds his life, his own life's, will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the word psyche. All right, the last one is Zoe. This is life of God. This is eternal life, life from God. This we have no control over, sadly, with our kids, but we do have influence. We cannot force our children to have a relationship with God. As much as I wish we could, we can't, but we do have influence. Um, one maxim I think of a lot in parenting is we are to, when it comes to our children's spiritual life, we are to show the way, clear the way, and get out of the way so that they have a clear, full view of who God is and what God is asking of them. Um, show the way, clear the way, get out of the way. A verse where this is used would be um, John 6, 47, 48, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, Zoe. I am the bread of life, Zoe. That's how he described himself. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, and that's Zoe. Okay, so we're gonna look at these three methods of life-giving through three different filters. So it's gonna be nine points total. So that's why you have your handy-dandy handout because without it, it would be kind of hard to follow along. Leslie asked me to do that and she was right. <laughs> Need a chart. So I'm gonna keep reiterating where we are so you can kind of stay on track because I know it's a lot. So um, each of these methods, we, they were created 
perfectly fallen because we live in a fallen world and redeemed, all right? This is how the gospel infiltrates motherhood in all three of these methods. So we're gonna start with uh, bios, physical life-giving. All right, a couple points here. So our body, I know, I know we all know this, but our bodies have the capacity to uh, sustain life inside of the womb, um, to build life inside of the womb and sustain it outside of the womb. So we take this for granted and often we don't pause to just acknowledge the wonder of that. We have three de- about three decades of fertility and then our ability to give life physically after that is over. Um, I remember it took us six months to get pregnant with our first. And I remember just getting on Google and figuring out like, okay, well, I mean, we're having sex in the middle of my cycle. What else do I need to do? Like, you know, and you read about everything that has to happen for someone to get pregnant. Have you guys ever looked into this? And you're like, there's like 5 billion conditions that have to happen at the exact time. It's a miracle that anybody can get pregnant. I mean, it's just fascinating. Um, And when talking about physical life-giving, there's a truth as Christians that we must believe deeply, okay? God loves life. He loves life. A verse I think of a lot is Malachi 2.15. And in this context, uh, God is chastising the Israelites because they're very faithless to their spouse. And he says, did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And you read that and you're like, what? He just wanted them to get together so they could have kids? Like that doesn't, no, he loves them and God loves people. He loves people. There's no greater asset than a human being. We have all sorts of amazing technology today. We've got computers, smartphones, rocket ships, missile dome defense systems. All right, these things can't exist without humans and they won't exist without humans, okay? Um, I know a lot of you are like, yeah, sure, I know that. Okay, this is not what the world says anymore, often. Um, Genesis 1, 27, 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, okay? That is unique to human beings. We are not just another animal. Now, if you believe the Darwinian theory in evolution, sure, we're just a more advanced animal. Why are we more significant than a rabbit? That's not what the Bible says. We were made in the image of God. And you can see that clearly, obviously, um, just the reflection of life. We're obviously different than animals. Uh, we have been made in the image of God. We have the, what that means is we have the capacity to love and to create, um, to relate to one another that reflects the goodness of God. And we have an intelligence that far surpasses that of any other created thing. I mean, I know dolphins and chimpanzees are really smart. Have you ever watched those Blue Planet? There are some amazing creatures out there, but they don't even come close to humans. And uh, what's interesting is this should be something that, I mean, obviously you're like, yeah, Morgan, we know that. I, um, I got a library book once. I think I just picked it out random and I'm reading it with my kid and it's like, he's an animal and this one's an animal. And then at the very last page was, and you're an animal too. And I'm like, no, that is not true. That's not biblical. I just couldn't believe that, that it was there. Um, okay, moving on. Um, how do we give life emotionally? Right, this is the bread and butter. This is the daily grind with our kids. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna kind of narrow this down. This is the home we provide and the words we speak. This is how we give life to our families emotionally, okay? Uh, under the home we provide, got two sub points there. We got just straight up housekeeping, okay? Because um, it's an orderly home is necessary for a thriving household. I know it weighs us all down. I know it's never as clean as we want, but it is really important um, because it's just hard to function well in chaos. 
How many of you knew somebody or you yourselves were just embarrassed to bring kids to your home, friends to your home as a teenager because your house was filthy? So I remember um, often, often the state of our homes can reflect our mental state. I feel like, I mean, why do we go and model homes, right? Because they're beautiful. And don't we feel like we can just breathe? When my house is totally picked up, I mean, I feel like I can take on the world. You know, I don't, when you're looking at clutter all the time, you're like, everything's cluttered. I don't like it. So I remember um, in my 20s, I had to get, take a ride with a coworker somewhere. And the guy seemed pretty normal, um, you know, just in the office. But I got in his car and I was like, this guy's a psychopath. Oh my God, I mean, it was disgusting. And I was thinking like, what's my escape? How do I get out? And I mean, I never looked at that guy the same again because it was just filthy. Um, and I remember my mother-in-law saying when, um, she said when she first got married, her husband, she was changing the sheets on the bed and her husband um, was like, thank you. Thank you for doing this. She said, what, change the sheets? He said, yeah, my mom never did that. My family never did that. And, um, and I think about that and I think, when did I last change the sheets on my kid's bed? I mean, I got five of them. Surely, like, they're in the rotation at some point. I mean, if they pee, I definitely change it. But besides that, it's kind of, should wait till the next time they pee. So, I don't know, but, mm, keeping it real. All right. So, then there's homemaking. Um, and there are whole nest talks on this one. This is um, awesome. I, I feel like this is an area that I'm not naturally great at, but I know it's what we were created to do. And so I'm constantly trying to get better at it and learn and grow here. All right, homemaking is creating, this is creating an atmosphere conducive to rest, love, learning, security, peace. This is where um, the five senses are engaged. We celebrate the seasons um, God is a God of order and peace. Um, great resources for this would be Millie Hale's talk back in March at the Dallas campus was um, how to cultivate your home into a refueling station for all. Um, another one is, I have these on your handout, by the way, right here. Uh, the Life-Giving Home by Sally Clarkson. She goes month by month um, through the different season and just gives a lot of practical ways with music and um, lighting and all that kind of stuff on how to just make our homes just, just that, what we want them to be. Um, how many of you, you know, when I think about this, I think about when I first went off to college and how I just loved coming home, that, especially that first semester. You know, you've been living in the dorm for so many months and just you can't wait for Thanksgiving and Christmas at home. Um, so I, just, I love that. I want to provide that for my kids, especially when they go off to college. I want them to want to come back home for those reasons. Then there's our words. This is the biggie. This is where we're gonna camp for a long time. Um, our words and tone set the mood of the home. And when I say words, I'm talking about tone, body language, all of that encompassed, okay? And you get, because you all know what I'm talking about. You know that your words and your tone can be totally different, right? It, it all matters. All right, this is how we speak to our kids, how we encourage them, how we teach them about life, respond to them, correct them. Y'all have heard me say this before, but you are the chief mood officer of the home. All right, so if you're grouchy, you expect them to be happy and grateful? No way. All right, so, so much rides on your perspective and your outlook. So we're gonna look at what scripture says about how we are to talk to one another. All right, just gonna read a few. Be prepared to be convicted. Okay, <laughs> Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
This next one's scary. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Our words matter. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What's ironic about all these is I make my kids memorize them. You know? So I think about these. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to talk to my friends, right? We don't think about this is how we're to talk to our families and to our children. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding, is a mom of understanding. Proverbs 16, 24, great, this one's on your handout. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the body. Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Proverbs 15, four, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. James 1, 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and this person's religion is worthless. Mm. All right, so this is created. That's how we were created to speak to our families. All right, we're gonna move on to created spiritual. How were we created to spiritually facilitate Um, life to our family, okay? Because I told you we can't control it, but we can influence. Deuteronomy 6, all right, this is the all-encompassing verse on what we are to do. Love the Lord your God. You are to love the Lord your God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Um, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. And then it goes on. Talk about them everywhere. Make sure everybody knows, okay? So we're to speak of him. All the time, we're to share the gospel with our kids and how that impacts us every day and talk about how grateful we are to have a savior. Um, It's no surprise uh, that studies have shown that kids who grow up in a household where both parents practice a faith, but they talk about it at home, they're much more likely to stick with that faith than um, a, a family that may go to church, but they don't talk about their faith at home. Well, shocker, yeah, talking about it at home matters. That's what God designed us to do. All right, we're to speak of him, live out the gospel daily, train our children with the same wisdom, grace, and patience that he gives us. Because isn't God patient with us? Isn't he so gentle with us? He really is. We want him to be more impatient with other people, but we like how patient he is with us. He doesn't scream at us. He talks to us softly, and we have to learn to listen Okay, we've gotten through created. Now, I could potentially end the talk here um, and say, all right, uh, that's it. Believe that our incredible life-giving bodies um, agree with God that life is good. Um, Provide for your children a beautiful, clean home. Uh, Set a happy tone, all the while pointing to the grace of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Go, I wish you well. Do Do all that I've spoken. I mean, we get one hour, one hour for all of us have failed, every single one. And that's because there was a real event called the fall of man. And man, when I think about that event, I think had any one of us been in the position of Eve, me especially, because if you really read the account in Genesis 3 of how the serpent deceived Eve, it convicts me every time how things are just twisted just a little. So everything is just twisted just a little. And she talks herself into it. How, much, how, much, how often do we talk ourselves into our own bad decisions? Um, so anyway, not only do we get the fallout of it, we participate in it every day. 
in all three of these aspects. All right, so let's take a look at physical. How physically are we fallen? Well, that was part of the curse, okay? Genesis 3, 16. Um, and this one isn't hard to see. All right, we have pain and childbirth and constant changing problems with our bodies and hormones as women. And I'm gonna quote five aspects here because she listed out pretty well. Um, this is just a few. We've got the mess and pain of our monthly cycle, a litany of pains in pregnancy, fear and dread in delivery, problems in delivery with mom and baby. Then even getting through that, we've got problems nursing, postpartum depression, fatigue, bleeding, infections. And then we have menopause, hormone imbalances, breast and cervical cancer, osteoporosis, and so on. I know all of us have been affected by that. And there is nothing comparable for men. There's just not. All right. They had other curses. All right. <laughs> we get that one. So as far as our view of life-giving, we've messed that one up as well, haven't we? We talked about how created, we're to agree that God loves life and we are created in his image. Okay, but how have we marred that as human beings? Okay, well, we've got a pendulum swing two different ways. Okay, on one side, you have different religions around the world that would say that a woman who is able to bear children she, it may, they may not explicitly say that it's a salvation issue, but that woman is held in much um, higher honor and esteem in that religion than if not, okay? So it's almost, almost necessary for salvation. It's viewed so highly and having many children, okay? Um, for that one, I would say, I think about this verse all the time. It's Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. I love this verse because it shows how we just take a good thing and we make it the main thing. And that's not what we're supposed to do. All right, so this is, this is how it goes, okay? This is, Jesus is talking to the crowd and a woman cries out. And this is totally how she did it, how I see it in my head. Blessed is the woman who gave you birth and the breasts at which you nursed. That's what she says, right? She's probably like 51 or two or something like that. <laughs> anyway, blessed is she, right? And Jesus, he doesn't say, mom was awesome, totally agree. Well, we know Mary was blessed, of course, but Jesus answers her and says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So she was wanting to almost make an idol of Mary. Yes, Mary was blessed, but she was getting off track. Don't we all do that? We don't keep the main thing the main thing. That's why we have to continually be reminded of the gospel, why we continually have to gather together to remind ourselves what is the main thing so we don't start making the side things the main thing because we all do it. I mean, frankly, I make fun of her. I would have done that myself. I would have somehow glorified Mary. Let me be like Mary. Um, it must be said that obedience to God in our relationship with him is always more important than being a physical life giver. Having children is wonderful, but it is not above our own relationship with God. All right, and then you got the pendulum swing the other direction. I don't know if y'all heard Prince Harry was quoted recently um, when asked how many children they would have. He said, two maximum for the sake of the planet. Okay, because the truth of the matter, many, many people these days believe that it's um, irresponsible to have children because of the carbon footprint they're gonna leave on the planet, okay? This is, a, this is something, we may not hear it a lot here. I don't know how much you It's a This is a big deal. People talk about this. I had a friend um, who, she went to a, um, a, a relative's graduation ceremony. And she had four of her kids with her. The guy behind her said, how can you justify having so many children with the carbon footprint they're gonna leave? And she was, said she was so taken aback, she didn't know how to respond. What I told her is she should have said, oh no, I got three more at home. I left them with a babysitter. She had, she had seven kids. <laughs> um, 
Uh, the truth of the matter is, um, I don't know a whole lot about climate change. It may be per- ex- totally true that each child you leave leaves a mess of a carbon footprint on the world. But I know the answer to it is not to stop having children. Okay, Isaiah 45, 18, I love this verse, it's on your handout. It says, he did not create the world to be empty, he created it to be inhabited. So it is not God's plan for you to stop having children to have more trees. Yes, take care of our planet, but the answer is not quit having children, okay? A great resource on this is, again, on your handout, overpopulationisamyth.com. Um, excellent site, very understandable and well done on this topic. It's got a series of videos that last about two minutes. It's with those art drawings. I mean, those people do that, it's incredible. Um, and it answers a lot of questions about this. Okay, so now we're moving on to, that was physical fallen. That is how the fall has affected our physical life-giving and our view of life. Then we've got emotional. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna go into this one, but we have to because this is it, all right? This is the daily grind. Um, So we talked about two areas of emotional or soul life-giving are the homes we provide and the words we speak. For starters, our homes are always moving towards chaos, right? That's the default. Um, And if you don't pay a fortune for house cleaners, then the house is never, it's never as picked up as you want it to be. Okay, so literally I made this slide and I was like, I'm just gonna go around my house right now. See how it looks. There you go. Kitchen, playroom, boys' room. My house was entirely picked up 12 hours before this. It just disintegrates. Okay, things naturally move towards chaos. That's actually like, I think it's a physics law, right? Things, things don't move towards order, they move towards chaos. <laughs> so, I mean, you could give it 8 billion years and you know, that playroom is not gonna pick itself up. It's not gonna put itself in the right you know, section. So, um, it's constant labor, picking up our homes, house cleaning, homemaking, it doesn't stop. All right, and as far as words, tone, body language, let's just be honest. We sin against our kids every day, sometimes just in minor ways and sometimes in major ways, in ways we're ashamed of. But which one of you hasn't been hurt by words yourself or implied words or sarcasm or sharp condescending instructions um, or passive aggressive words or maybe body language that doesn't match the words or tone that doesn't match the words, that doesn't match the body language. And you're really confused. Like, I don't, what do you want from me? I don't understand. Um, But then we all have been hurt by words. But then how many of us are guilty of speaking to the members of our own household in this way? Okay, and then what I want to say is, how's that working for you? Right? Does that bring life to you? We know it doesn't bring life to our family, but yet we keep doing it. We give into our anger. We give into our frustration every time. We don't get to the root of it and take it to God. We all do this. Um, God has continually been working on me in this area. So here's just an example, my life, okay? And this is common. I've definitely done worse. Um, but Brian and I, we were doing, busy doing our own thing. I don't know what it was. He had something to do. I had something to do. So we let our kids watch a movie. Can we watch a movie? Okay, fine. Yeah, go. Um, Movie ended like 15 minutes after bedtime. So I'm already like, it's still not over. You see, okay, right, all right. So it finally ends and then we have to usher them upstairs. And one thing, you know, when you have small kids, you can't just say, I'm not sure you can do this, teenagers. I'm not there yet. But you can't say, all right, guys, go upstairs, brush your teeth and get in bed. No, that never works. It never works. That's why I have a friend who calls it, um, 
get off your butt parenting. <laughs> They're not just, as much as we want them to do it, you are actually gonna have to leave your place and go. So we know, Brian and I know, like one of us has to accompany them up the stairs. So we get up the stairs, it's already 15 minutes past bedtime, and I look, and they're like, one of the rooms, the boys' room always, my girl keeps it perfectly. It's great, I love that. I'm like, thank you, that blesses mommy. Boy, it's a disaster. And, and then I realized one kid had not put his laundry up that I'd asked him to do five hours before. And then I realized two of my kids haven't showered in three days. So I'm just barking orders left and right. I'm like, pick up, no, pick that up. You need to get to your socks. Whose sock is this? Get in the shower. Get naked and get in the shower. Stop hitting your brother. That's, no. Have you brushed your teeth? Have you, okay, I need you to focus. I'm wanting, I'm wanting laser focus from these people that are like 10, 8, 7, 6, 5, you know, whatever. And so they're like, why are you in a bad mood? I'm not in a bad mood. I'm not in a bad mood. I would just like you to get your things done so that we can get in bed. Yeah, totally. So. You know, and I'm like, seriously? Have you not done that? Seriously? You know, I keep saying that. So then I hear, <laughs> a few minutes later, I hear my seven-year-old brushing her teeth, and she's like, who, who let this toothpaste blob in the sink? Seriously? Bryce, did you do that here? And I'm like, that is not the way you talk to your brother at all. You know? <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, I just reap what I sow. You know, and the reality was, I was just mad at myself because I let him watch a movie and didn't really count the cost. I wasn't, you know, I basically kicked parenting to the curb for a little bit, and then I was paying for it on the back end. Um, but man, I reap what I sowed, and I just hear her tone and the way they talk to each other, and I'm like, that's exactly how I've been talking to them for the last 20 minutes. Um, and that's just an example of daily life of how we sin against our kids every day. All right, now spiritual. How has the fall marred um, how we, how, how has the fall hindered the spiritual life of our children? Okay, so we talked about how we are to show the way, clear the way, and get out of the way. But the truth of the matter is, um, we obstruct it all the time. Okay, if we ourselves aren't getting in the way for who knows what, trying to control them, we're throwing a bunch of things in the way that's gonna block their view of God and confuse them on who God is. Um, so in a perfect world, we have an accurate view of having children and we celebrate God's goodness and we point to God all the time clearly in Deuteronomy 6. But the truth is we forget. We don't fulfill Deuteronomy 6, do we? We forget to tend to spiritual things. That's again, that's why we gather every week. That's why there's a thousand midweek ministries. So we can tend to spiritual things. Most of us, we just forget or we don't want to or we think we'll get to it later. Tending to spiritual things is the most important thing you could do. And even worse, since the beginning of time, we give our children to our gods. What do I mean by that? We give our children to our idols. Now, when I say idol, I'm not talking about like a golden calf that we bow down and worship. I don't think many of you struggle with that. Uh, but what it does mean is something we put above God in importance. And we all do this and we don't realize it. We do it all the time, okay? So um, a great resource, also on your handout, Tim Keller wrote a book called Gospel in Life. Uh, that's fantastic. And he has a really good chapter on there that helps you identify your idols. So here are some common snares, all right? We want smart kids, athletic kids, cheerleader girls, football boys, soccer studs, good-looking kids, well-dressed kids, popular kids, kids who can sing and become famous for God, right? For God. Uh, kids who will later be actors and actresses for God. For God, of course, of course, right? 
Um, kids in a gifted and talented program, kids who can quote scripture, kids who have excellent manners, uh, kids who adore their siblings and parents, kids who speak a second language, kids who will start their own profitable business at age eight. Okay, so what are some indicators of what our idols are? Well, um, one of them is how much time are we spending on these things? How much time, money, energy, mental capacity, how much is going into these things? Another, another indicator is how much does your kid want this thing? If they're hating, hating piano lessons and it's really important to you they do it, I don't know, discuss that with community. Talk, people, talk to people around you and go, hey, what do you guys, usually the people around you see your idols that you have better than you do, okay? And often we're really attached to them, okay? So just be open to hear when you ask people, hey, what are the idols that I'm potentially putting on my kids? Because they're usually good things, but they're not the best thing. They're not God himself, okay? Um, another indicator is when you hear about a kid who's done exceptionally well in something, like the art project, they won the writing award, whatever. Um, you just have that pang of jealousy just right there. Like, we all get that. Um, but really, you can do one of two things with it. You can go one or two ways with that pang. Okay, the first way you might go, oh, I need to up it in that area. Shoot. All right, uh, art, piano, piano classes start next week. Okay, uh, we got to get a piano. I got to get on Craigslist. I got to find a piano. Anybody know a good piano teacher? I got, okay, you know, and you're just, and you're starting, your wheels are starting to spin on how you've dropped the ball. You got to up it here, okay? So guilty of this. Um, the second one would be, you feel that pang of jealousy and you stop and you remember what God says. All of our, all of our kids are different. Every family is different. Every family has a different capacity. And truly, celebrate those other kids' accomplishments. That's great. I can celebrate that for you and with you and not feel like that has to be part of our family. And I'm okay with that because I'm secure where God has me. I have an audience of one. I am accountable to God and God alone with how we spend our time, money, resources. Okay, so I celebrate that. I love that. But that doesn't mean I have to immediately translate that and go, well, we have to have that. Uh, one thing, one thing I sometimes like, I love to drive around Highland Park and look at the beautiful houses. I don't get to do it often these days, but I'm like, I found that I have to be careful because um, I, I enjoy all the money they've spent on their landscaping and all the money they spent on that remodeling. I feel like I'm probably benefiting from it more than they are because they're probably pulling up going, oh, I need to replant those hydrangeas or blah, I got to fix this. Blah, blah. I'm just like, oh, it's just so beautiful. I just love that. But I can do that and go, I don't need to go like get a second mortgage for a remodel. You know, I can't afford landscaping right now. Like I can enjoy it for them, but not feel like we have to have that. But I have to watch that because sometimes that gets a little fuzzy. Um, okay, so those are our potential idols. Um, another, probably another indicator is when you think about if this were taken away, the thing you want for your kids the most. If somebody were to say, your kids will never play sports again. They're done, they're done with sports. What's your reaction in your heart? Like, okay. Or if they say like, hey, they're gonna be a star soccer player, but they're gonna be kind of like eh, lukewarm on the whole God thing. And the soccer thing is gonna be a big hindrance to their spiritual life. What's your thought? Oh, well, he'll come around eventually. I know he will. Just keep right. No, may it never be. Or the opposite. If it's like, hey, your, your daughter, she is gonna be a fully devoted follower of Christ. She's never gonna make much money. Nobody's gonna know her name. She's not gonna be famous, but she is gonna be a wonderful friend, wife, and mother. And you go, oh, is that what you really want? Or are you like, oh, but she could be a brain surgeon. She could 
but ballet, but you know, I mean, what, what is that thing that you're like, oh, but, oh, but if, can't we? And a lot of times you convince yourself that you can have both, right? That's a lot of people do, especially the ones like everyone trying to be famous in LA. Like, oh, I can do both. I can do both for God. I don't know. I would just check that, okay? That's just something where you kind of go, all right, let other people speak into that and just be willing to listen. Okay, so I got to pause there. I don't know how long I've gone. You guys are going to get table time. We've got three deep questions for you um, about the C.S. Lewis quote. All right, so really just ponder that. Where are you with Christ? Um, is it moderately important or is it infinitely important? Uh, what about fallen can you relate to? And then what about idols? Can we talk about idols? What idol for you kids do you feel like you know you struggle with? Okay, so uh, about 10 minutes and then we'll be back to talk about redeemed. All right, everybody. Now for the good news, okay? We don't have to wallow in our fallenness because there is redemption. There is redemption. All right, the gospel infiltrates all of these fallen areas, okay? Christ, he's the ultimate life giver, isn't he? Um, he entered into all of them. And while we live with a curse, we're not damned, okay? It's not all um, bad, but we still have to deal with the sin and fallen part of the world. Um, in that, we cling to Christ, who through his death and resurrection, right, fallen, redeemed, tells us how to live as redeemed people in a fallen world. So how does that look different? How do we live out the gospel in the midst of our fallenness? All right, we're gonna start out with physical. Let's recap, because I know it's a lot. Our bodies are incredible, but they're wrought with pain and problems because of the fall of man. But even in the pain, we have hope. Hope is the redeeming characteristic of our broken physical bodies. We have pain, but usually it subsides, okay? Seasons come and go and we're able to empathize and have compassion on our sisters who are going through similar stuff and we serve them with compassion. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. I like this. Paul's talking about their persecution as Christians, but he says, uh, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not abandoned. Uh, I'm sorry, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. All right, so it's bad, but there's still hope. Um, and then Paul said in Romans 8 that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to what's to come. So that's a bold statement. This guy suffered a lot. I think it's Romans 11 where he goes through everything he endured for the sake of Christ. And it is bad. You're like, how is this guy still living? And he said, it's not even worth comparing to what's to come. And that's the perspective on our current life. Our broken bodies with wacky hormones won't always affect us. Um, we, and the truth is, a major tenet of Christianity we don't talk about a whole lot is 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of our bodies. The Bible tells us that our bodies are like seeds that die. And then imagine what comes out of a seed. Like it's incredible and it's so different. Our current bodies are like seeds. So we look forward to the redemption of our bodies with hope. And man, being part of that curse with our broken bodies makes me look forward to that. And I have never had to cling to hope so much as I did in 2012 when I went through horrible postpartum depression. Totally blindsided me, loved being a mom, didn't have it at all with my first two kids. Um, but about four months after my daughter was born, I remember suddenly thinking, okay, wait, the Morgan, 
Morgan, like her personality, like her likes and dislikes and just who she is, I could not be further from that. I was like, that's like a distant person far away. And I felt really out of body and my thoughts were terrifying me. And I was so scared. It was the lowest I've ever been in my life. And when I finally poured out my heart, I was so scared too. But when I finally told my husband where I was, he said, babe, I'm not scared. This doesn't worry me. This isn't you. This is something that's happening to you. We will get through this. Just don't lose hope. And at that point, I was clinging to hope by a thin thread. Um, Because I just felt like, I felt like I was losing my mind. And it was a scary place to be. And I'm gonna tell you guys, in all honesty, I got on medication. And I know a lot of people wrestle with that. But at that point, whatever I needed to do to get back on my feet, to serve and love my family, I was willing to do. I had no more pride. Um, so that was kind of my postpartum depression. I know a lot of you have wrestled with that too. It's different for every woman, but um, what's so ironic about that is probably like six months before it hit me, I remember telling a friend, you know, I just can't relate to women who have postpartum depression. I just don't get it. I love being a mom. I think I was expecting myself to be really weepy um, or scared of other things. What, how it hit me, I just wasn't prepared for. I was very apathetic. Uh, but like I said, it affects everyone differently. Um, and confession, finally bringing it out to the light was, it felt like this big bubble burst when I finally brought it out into the light. And I was so scared too, but that was kind of like Satan's power. Like confession and getting it out there is the first step towards healing. Um, so our physical bodies are broken, but we have hope. There is the redemption of our bodies. All right, emotional. How has God redeemed the way we screw up emotionally bringing life to our families. We're gonna recap. We talked about providing a clean, orderly home that serves as a refueling station for love, uh, peace, security, and learning. But it's hard to keep up when chaos is the default, right? Um, and then we talked about our words, following God's commandments, being um, clothed with gentleness and compassion and patience. And we have royally screwed that one up too, haven't we? And the day starts again and again. So what are we to do? It's exhausting, right? We just give up? We just give into it? No, we don't. Because Christ's love compels us. Man, this is all over the Bible when you read it. Um, the redeeming characteristic is love. Without love for God, love for our husbands, love for our children, love for the body of Christ and created beings. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that everything we do, all those acts of service, if not fueled by love, they're worthless. They're for our own pride to feed our own flesh. And remember, we talked about Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us, okay? So while these little people are ungrateful, horrible, mean, nasty, they don't care, you know, or your husband doesn't appreciate you, while they're still sinners, we still serve them because Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Christ's love compels us. It was love that put, God, uh, put Christ on the cross. Remember, that, you guys know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. So uh, Ephesians 4, 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Ephesians 4, 2. So we can't and shouldn't deny our sin, right? We still sin. We don't deny that. We confess it regularly, 1 John 1. But love is what motivates us to have self-control, okay? 
and self-sacrifice. It's what compels us to pick up the playroom for the millionth time or make the bed for our tired husband who had to get up early that morning. Um, Love is what compels us to keep our words and tone in check and choose joy and gratitude instead. All right, so when we have that snarkly tone, when we're getting irritated, we stop, we figure out what's the root here? Why am I doing it? What's the truth about this matter? We confess our sin, all right? That's, and we, love is what compels us to keep doing that because we have to do it over and over. Um, so here's an example in my life. All right, uh, here we go. So kids are playing in the living room. Our boys play a lot with Nerf guns. Our one rule is don't shoot in the face, okay? So you know where this is going. So the one kid that has trouble listening and self-control shoots the really sweet kid right in the face, okay? So he's crying, ah! Okay, so freeze the scene. All right, let's get three options of how I respond with my words. Okay, the first one, I'm not saying I've ever done this one. What the heck are you thinking? Give me that, give me that right now and go upstairs. I will deal with you in 10 minutes, okay? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's hard to, hard to hear that. Um, we do it. All right, option two. Why did you just shoot your brother in the face? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Well, because he teaches blah, blah, blah. No, that's why I told you not to do that. Well, he was just blah, blah. This is, by the way, this is your children arguing back with you. I'm going to do that. Like, um, stop it. No, I didn't. Did you not listen to? I don't think so. He was not aiming towards you. Well, he did blah, 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 blah. And then here you are on this back and forth all the time, continuing fruitless. We do it all the time. One of our children is particularly prone to continual arguing. And here's the deal. Again, how's that working for you? When has your child ever stopped and said, oh, okay, I was confused on a few points. <laughs> You've now clarified. I understand. Here's the Nerf gun. I'll see you in a few minutes, mom. No, they will argue to the death. They won't stop, all right? So get out of the boxing ring. Okay, or, okay, there's option C, which is, Hand me your Nerf gun, please. You can go upstairs. But he was you, you, Nerf gun. Nerf gun. Okay, if you're not gonna hand me your Nerf gun, you're gonna have a further consequence. So you need to accept your discipline and go upstairs. We will talk about this later. Okay, so um, the truth of the matter is, uh, my kids know that doing the offense is one thing, but then not accepting your discipline above it will get you even further discipline. So at this point, they know Okay, I need to accept my discipline as painful as it be or else it's gonna be a lot worse. Um, and the truth of the matter is, those first two are just incredibly distracting. They are. I mean, the arguing, the yelling. Then you just sat there and yelled at them like, what are you thinking? Well, then they've shrunk a little bit because our kids hate it when we yell at them. How, do you remember being a kid and you hated it when people spoke really harshly to you, whether it be a teacher or a parent? You just cringed and shrunk, Right? Our kids feel the same way. I remember being a kid, I hated it when an adult would grab me by the wrist and like, no, that's it. You come over here, come over here. I hated that for some reason. So I'm really co- like cognizant not to do that to my kids. I don't grab them by the wrist and pull them everywhere. <laughs> not by the wrist. Um, where am I here? It's really, it's like learning conflict with your spouse, but just much, much harder. <laughs> These unreasonable people. And man, doesn't it get tiring? Are we tired? Don't we sometimes go like, oh, I've just made the bed every morning. I picked up so much. I do the dishes every day. Does nobody think of me? Does nobody care? Okay, and we do. We get tired. All right, and that's why renewal, renewal is right along with love. Because you know what? God actually created something called a Sabbath. 
He knew we needed rest and we all need rest, all of us. We need mental rest and we need physical rest. All right, and this is just outside of our typical, you know, four hours of sleep we get. No, just kidding. Um, renewal is what keeps us fueled. Quoting Barbara Mauser here, the five aspects lady, genius. Belief in the importance of life giving is often not the problem. Finding the strength to do it is. Um, I saw it put a little differently. Uh, a gal named Meg Meeker wrote a book called Strong Mother, Strong Sons. And she said, the biggest obstacle to parenting is not desire, it's exhaustion. Right? We just get so tired. Okay, so um, we have to make a distinction here. Because what you'll hear a lot in the mom world, um, even in like the Christian mom world, is make time for you. You deserve it. You need some me time, right? We all imagine ourselves going to get pedicures. This, me, there's actually, there's a pedicure place by my house. It's called me time. <laughs> like not biblical. It's not biblical. Okay, so, but that's what Satan does, right? He takes the truth and he twists it just a little, just to make it off. Um, so that's what he does when it comes to renewal. Because the heart behind renewal is love. It's not me, it's love. We're weak human beings, of course we need renewal. Um, Our bodies and minds need that rest. But it comes from an understanding that God built a Sabbath. Jesus withdrew, if you just put in Jesus withdrew in Bible Gateway, it shows up a lot in the gospels. He withdrew. but I need renewal so I can return as a strengthened life giver and servant, not to fill my entitlement bucket or to honor myself. So my, my personal daily renewal, I used to do my quiet times at night and I found that just went by the wayside. I have a kid that always wants to talk at night and he doesn't go to sleep till like 11. So that was shot. But, um, and I, I'm with, I, we homeschool a few of our kids, one's in public, or we put our 11 year old in public this year. Uh, but uh, the other ones I'm, I'm home with all the time. You know, and I still have a two-year-old, so, and she's kind of dropped her nap, so that's gone. So I just kind of said, all right, I, get, I need to get up an hour before whatever time I think my first kid's going to be up. And that's my time of, of renewal, my daily renewal. The house is quiet. The sun's coming up. I've got my Bible. Um, I need truth, and my mind needs quiet, and you need this too. I mean, if I go a few days without it, I feel it in my spirit. And then I usually need more of an extended time. So on Saturdays, if we don't have games and all that, I usually take about three hours. So just go have a quiet mind. I might have like an extended quiet time. I might just run errands, but I spend a long time in the car. I mean, whatever, whatever it is that I need. I feel like it is my responsibility to be cognizant of the condition of my mind and spirit. So I just don't go, that's it, I'm done. I need a, you know, whatever, need a week off. No, we need it daily. So it's up to you to make sure you're getting the renewal you need. Um, You guys have probably heard it. Devote daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Okay. So we need it a little every day and in larger doses weekly or monthly. Um, I once met a woman in church. It was uh, during a time of like, we got together, we were all sharing. And she just said, I mean, you could tell stage of her life. She was just in it. I'm done stage. And she said, I've given to others. I don't think she had an accent, but it's fun to talk like she did. I have just given and given and given my whole life. And I'm, I'm tired. I'm gonna focus on me now. I'm gonna focus on me because I've just given and given. And I remember thinking like, that doesn't, something's off here. Like, you know, that's just made me uncomfortable. I'm like, what is it? And I thought about it a lot later. Like, that's not biblical. And I wondered if what she was really saying was, I've tried to control and manipulate other people to get them to do what I want them to do. So I've served them, 
but they're not doing what I want them to do or giving me what I think I need, so I'm done. You do what you're going to do. I'm going to focus on me now. You know, I'm like, is that really what it was? Man, that is poisonous thinking. That is poisonous thinking. That is, that is, will make everybody run away and that will not serve you well. Um, So watch that thinking. It is up to us to figure out the root of why we're doing things and to get the renewal we need. All right, got to move on to spiritual. Okay, spiritual. Remember we talked about how we are to make sure our kids see us and hear us worshiping God. We share the gospel with our kids and they get it loud and clear that we need Jesus. We are grateful for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But instead, we give them to our gods. We give them to our idols and we clutter up that path with all sorts of things. So how has Christ redeemed our hindering our child's relationship with him? Well, the truth of the matter is because we can't control whether or not our kids have a relationship with God, all we can do is we can see what we've done and we repent. That's up to us. We gotta see our sin clearly and repent. So much healing comes from repentance, true repentance. And then after that, we just entrust our children to God. We just have to have faith that he loves them way more than we ever do. Um, and we entrust them to him because I can't control it. So I have to have faith. I mean, that is hard. That has been a hard lesson for me to learn because I want my kids to do X, Y, and Z and I want them to do it in front of other people so they see that my kid loves God. But the truth is, that's his own journey, all right? I mean, it scares me to death. My kids, you might see them like running through the hall, not paying attention to babies, you know, blah, 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 bragging about this. And I'm like, you know, and you're like, that's the elder kid? Yep, that's the elder kid, okay? He's on his own journey. We're trying, all right? We're repeating the same truth over and over. I don't know when it's gonna click, but hopefully soon, okay? Uh, so don't judge me. Let my children. All right, um, let's see how much time do I have? 11.30, okay. Okay, I'm gonna close with this quote. Uh, women, Barbara Mauser, bottom of your handout. Whatever happens, do not harden your hearts. Life-giving is an essential part of your God-given womanhood. He wants to use us day after day to give life, and we must have compassionate, tender, nurturing, and loving hearts for the job. The truth is, we influence far more than we realize, but we control far less than we think, okay? All right, let me pray us out. You guys have about... 12 minutes of table time. Actually, you have a long time for table time. Just uh, pick up your kids at 12. Um, but yeah, you have the rest of the time to just talk amongst yourselves and pray. Father, you created motherhood. You have given us the capacity to give life. Lord, may we do it in a way that reflects you. May our children thrive. Lord, may they see you clearly and find you so desirable and beautiful, God. We pray that above anything, Lord. We just ask that our time would give you glory, that our hearts would be strengthened and spurred on and encouraged, God, to see you as you really are and to know that your ways are so worth it. Father, thank you for the gifts of these kids, Um, just these precious people that you have put in our care. May we be um, so careful to give you glory in the way we parent them. In Jesus' name, amen.